So generally, we all dislike dealing with death. It brings feelings of loss, of course. Watching the Pixar movie Up captures the sense of loss very well. Uh, the movie begins by flashing through the meeting of Carl and Ellie and their friendship, their subsequent marriage, and then their lives together. It captures scenes of joy and of sorrow, of disappointment and of hope. But ultimately, the movie flashes to the loss of Ellie, uh, Carl's wife, and the loss of a loved one. This brings sorrow. Some of you have experienced and endured that type of sorrow in one way or another, whether it be a spouse, a child, a parent, uh, someone that you cared for. For the vast majority of humanity, there is a genuine fear of death. The disciples of Jesus Christ experienced this very same fear. They experienced this very same grief and the uncertainty of soul as they saw our Savior rejected and tried and crucified and buried. Imagine their Sabbath day, what was going through their minds, the experience of their soul as they endured that day of deep distress. Jesus is in the tomb. It's over. It's over. We gave up everything. We left our families. We left our businesses. We left it all. And he's in a grave. It's over. One commentator gives a little insight and thought about this. It's on the screens. Mary Magdala, with another Mary, had remained beside the tomb till the trumpet of the Passover Sabbath, and the gathering darkness had warned them to retire. They rested the Sabbath day, according to the commandment, in the saddest, darkest grief that ever oppressed the human heart. They had not only lost the dearest object of their affection under the most harrowing circumstances, but their hopes that this was the Messiah seemed to have been rudely shattered. And with this on their minds, they approached the tomb planning to embalm the body of Jesus. As we think through John's account of this day in John chapter 20, I want for us to think about the rawness the humanness of what John is writing. So as we start and look through these verses, think about the human element of all that is being described. We'll start in verses 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. 
the scene of the stone moved out of the entrance of the tomb that in our minds is a scene of rejoicing and victory on that morning was a scene of distress. You can sense the rawness and humanness of Mary as she sees this and says, now what? We don't even have his body to embalm. Going a little further, look at verses 3 through the beginning of verse 8. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. Stop right there. There's a lot going on in this text. But remember, we're looking right now from the humanness. And I want you to think about this. The one that is writing this, he's under the inspiration of the Spirit. Yes? But he's also a human. And he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yes? And not only that, on three occasions, in a very short period of time, he makes a certain emphasis in this text Peter and John ran toward the tomb and I won (laughs) he doesn't say it once he doesn't say it twice he says it three times can you sense the humanness of this passage not only did I outrun him I stood there and the one who got there first There's humanness to this text. It's it's very clear. John wants you and I to know that he is faster than Peter. Not much has changed in 2,000 years in human uh, interaction. I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm faster than you. I'm smarter than you. All of these kinds of things. But we're sensing this humanness here. Going a little further, look at the end of verse 8 and verse 9 because something beautiful is taking place. It says, Then the other disciple, whom had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and what? Believed. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now Jesus had told them that he was going to die, suffer, die, and and be raised on the third day. He had told them, so this should not have been a surprise. But left to our own devices, we can have all the information right under our noses, but we need God to perform His supernatural work. And it took this event of Jesus dying and being buried and and John walking into the tomb, second, because he let... Peter go in first, and he sees the, the linen cloth, some over here, and then a face cloth over here, separate. They were, they were separated together, or from one another. The concept here is that God was unveiling 
John's eyes. Humanly, without that unveiling of the eyes, we remain in darkness. We remain in our sin. And we remain, very important word, dead. We remain dead. Look a little further. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now the literal reading of this is the disciples went back to themselves. They went back to themselves. What had they been doing for the last three years? Traveling all around, right? Proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Demonstrating the works that authenticated the message of the king. They had been proclaiming and reaching out and, and, and spreading the message. And now, Jesus, they don't know what's going on with his body is missing. And they went and they said, you know, we're going to go hang out by ourselves. You can see humanness here. Where are they going? They're unsure what to do. Look at verse 11. We'll see some more human emotion. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She's very, very upset. Weeping and weeping. This is human. In the next few verses, verses 12 through 15, we see this grief is even hindering Mary's ability to recognize the resurrected Christ until again he pulls back the curtain for her to see. Look at verses 12 through 15. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the foot. Then she said to her, Woman, why are you... Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I, and, and I will take him away. So you can see this, this grief has overtaken her, and her eyes had not been fully opened. And then, verse 16 comes. Jesus said to her, one word. Can you say it with me? Mary. That was it. Mary. Mary. And what happens? What's the response? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So this one word, Mary, unveiled Mary's eyes and she said, you're the teacher. You're raised. You're, you're back. Here you are. Humanness. Grief. Inability. Lost. Dark. Blind. Until God does what only God can do and brings Life. Life from the dead. Mary. Look at verses 17 and 18. Mary went and spoke of what she had seen. 
17 and 18, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord! And that he had said these things to her. So can, can you sense? You've got John's humanness, Mary's humanness, we've got all this humanness going on. But there's more humanness to be seen in verse 19. On the evening of that day, this is after they heard the announcement from Mary, I have seen the Lord. On that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews or for fear of the Jews. Humanness. You see it? Humanness. I'm afraid. They took him. They're coming for us. Next, humanness. However, in their humanness, it says in verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. You know, Jesus, he knows something about humanness because he was not only fully God, he was also fully human. So he knew what it was to be human. And he caters even to their humanness in this text. Look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. From fear to gladness, because Jesus pronounces, peace be with you, and he says, look, here I am, it's really me. Humanness. Jesus is meeting them in their need. This theme of human disbelief continues in this passage. Look at verses 24 and 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. You can see this theme of human disbelief continuing. Why do you suppose that God includes all of this for us? We talked about this a little bit this past Wednesday evening. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that God is different than me. After all that Jesus had done in Thomas's presence, from healing those who couldn't walk, to giving hearing to those who couldn't hear, and sight to those who couldn't see, and speech to those who couldn't talk, and actually, just previous to this, raising Lazarus from the dead, giving life to those that are dead. He, Thomas was there to see all of this. He saw Jesus multiply the loaves and the fish. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Jesus command the wind and the waves and they stilled. He saw all of this. And, and here is Thomas's statement. Unless I touch and see, and feel, I will absolutely not believe. 
In the Greek, there are two no's. There's a may and an ooh. <laughs> I will not, absolutely not, believe. He is emphatic. And yet, we have this glorious, humble, merciful, patient, gracious Savior. And He enters into this scene with compassion and tenderness, meeting the humanness of Thomas. Look at verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then He said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see My hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Stop right there for just a moment. This is not in your face. You can read it that way if you choose to. But if you're a careful reader of Scripture and you observe how Jesus deals with those who are coming to Him, those who are needy, those who are broken, those who realize their brokenness and sinfulness, you'll know that Jesus doesn't in your face to those. So when Jesus is here, come and touch. Here, come and look. Don't disbelieve. Believe me. This is Jesus demonstrating His tender, kind, merciful, patient way of reaching out to sinners like me and sinners like you. We see humanness all over this passage. And we also see Jesus' incredible work. And you know, He said Mary to Mary Magdalene and, and life came for her. For Thomas... He says, see and feel. And life came. How, you, how do I know? Look at verse 28. Thomas answered, and, uh, answered him. Will you say it with me? My Lord and my God. You are God. You are Lord. You are my Lord and my God. And so God is unveiling eyes and eyes and eyes in these human people. People like us that are broken and weak and hate death and hate disparagement and, and hate discouragement and hate when our plans go awry and hate when we, we've done all these things and, and had greater hopes and they're all dashed. God meets us in the midst of our sorrow and our unbelief and our uncertainty and our deadness and our blindness and He says, come! Come to Me and have life and I'll give it to you. And, and when we come, we say, My Lord and My God, now this, this passage has more to say about the humanness because God anticipates it. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen Me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? Life. Life in His name. This is the purpose of John's Gospel that he was unveiling for a watching, reading world that Jesus is everything that the Bible has promised Him to be. He was the promised Messiah. He was God. The seven I Am statements and the seven sign miracles that were demonstrated and then the seven discourses. All of them unveiling something about who Jesus is as the Messiah God of Israel and the Messiah God of everyone. The call continuously is to Look to Him. Believe Him. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One. He's the Son of God. Him being the Son of God was proven by the resurrection from the dead. Now, just a couple of references on the screens to my left and right. Romans 1, verse 4 says this, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By His resurrection from the dead, He is Jesus Christ our Lord. He is Jesus, Savior, Christ, Anointed One, Lord, Master. He's the Master who is the Savior who is the promised Messiah. This is who He is. And it was proven by the resurrection of the dead. In Acts chapter 1, Luke is writing to Theophilus and he says uh, about Jesus to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus demonstrated himself to be the resurrected Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God in power and he Proved his resurrection multiple times over. But this vital words can come at the end of verse 31 that by believing you might have life in his name. Jesus' resurrection is evidence of life from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is evidence of life from the dead. And there's it's incredible. The, the, the people reading this, anyone reading this or hearing this, John 20, 31, anyone reading this or hearing this is physically what? Alive, right? You can't read when you're dead. And you can't hear when you're dead. So if someone is reading or hearing this, they have to be alive. So the life that Jesus is offering is not physical life. Because it would make no sense to say, hey, hey, I want to I offer you something today. You come to my church and put enough money in the offering and I will make you, I'll, I'll make sure that you're, when you're giving that, I'll make sure you're alive. What a deal! This is great! I've been waiting for that life all my life. Oh no, I've been living this whole time. So he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about something, something else. Something more significant. God must be talking about a different kind of life than physical life. There is life found in Jesus that we all need. There is life 
found in Jesus that we all need. Listen to these verses. They'll be displayed on the screens. This is just, these are just verses from the Gospel of John with an emphasis on the word and concept of life. And that life is tied to the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. John 1, 4. In Him, speaking of Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. John chapter 4, and verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. Come to me. Come and have a drink. I want to give you life. A little further, John 5 and verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Verse 26 of the same chapter, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Jesus has life. His own life. He, no one could take His life. He had to lay it down. He has the power not only to lay it down, but to take it back up again in John chapter 6 and verse 33 God's word says this for the bread of God is he speaking of Jesus who comes down from heaven and what does he do he gives life to the world there are 47 times in the gospel of John 47 times that the word life is used and almost all of them are just like this that we're talking about. Not like life, like someone's, someone's individual life. It's sometimes it's used as Jesus laying down his life. But most of the occurrences have this idea of life giving, life receiving, eternal life that Jesus offers. 47 times, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 11.25, at the conclusion of the resurrection of Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus offers life to you. Because He Himself is life. He laid His life down. He was stretched out and crucified. And He dismissed His life from Him. And He took His life back. And He was authenticated as the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness that is within Him. He is. He is life. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. He offers life. Real, abundant, eternal, full life. God's Word says in John chapter 5, going back in time just a little bit because I, I, this, this is a resonating passage. Listen to these words. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these that testify or bear witness about Me. Yet, you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. Search, 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 search. Words, 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 words. 
These are the words of life, but the words of life cannot give you life. God must give you life. The Gospel is powerful. It is, it's able to break uh, rocks in pieces. It's able to light fields on fire. The, the imageries that God uses about the power of the Word. But nothing happens with these life-giving words until Jesus issues life. We need the life that He has to offer. But you, He says, you refuse to come to Me. He's telling the, the, the Pharisees and the, the Jews that were tied into religion instead of coming to Him. You search the Scriptures, but you refuse to come to Me. And because you refuse to come to Me, you refuse to receive life. But what's the opposite of that? Come to Me and have life. Come to Me and have life. This is what he says in John chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Verse 16 is the most po uh, popular passage in all of Scripture, right? Look at these words. That whoever believes in Him, Jesus, may have what? Eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Real life. Life that lasts. You can't preserve this one. You know it. You know it. Everyone you know, like the people, people die. No one's not going to die. Work really hard. Eat the vegetables. Run. Do your push-ups and sit-ups. Pass your PT test. It's great. It doesn't give you lasting life. There's a, a limit to what we can do to preserve our own lives. But there's a life that God offers that it doesn't matter what happens. Everything around you, everything within you, nothing and no one can take that life that Jesus offers. As the source of life, Jesus laid down His life and he took his life up again. And he has, ready for this? He has defeated death for us. He has defeated death for us. Through this process, God has turned even death into victory. God redeems death. It's the worst part of life. Death. And God says, I'm going to take death, I'm going to defeat death, I'm going to overcome death, and I'm going to make death the actual victory that you need. My death. My death on your part, on your behalf. I'll give you life from my death and resurrection. This is why at the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 15, a chapter on resurrection, God's Word says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. He goes on to say the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Isaiah 25 speaks about God swallowing up death forever. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, death shall be no more. 
and how is it that death is swallowed up forever and that death shall be no more? It's because of this life-giving that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's, he's won the victory. That which should haunt us in our sleep is what's going to happen on the other side of me dying? That has been removed. That bondage of fear of death is gone for everyone that comes to Christ because He imparts to those who come enduring, eternal, real life that no one can take. How is this? Well, it's through what we're celebrating today. The Lord Jesus Christ has defeated death through His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And He offers you this life today. Come to Him today. And receive from Him today this life He offers you. No super spiritual words. There's no script for this. Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know what your situation is, but this one I can tell you, where you're seated, right now, call upon the name of the Lord. Say, Lord, I need this life that you offer. I know I can't get it any other way. You know what he'll do? He'll impart to you life. All it took was for him to say, Mary. All it took for Thomas. Come, look, and feel. What was his response? My Lord, my God. What was her response? Rabboni, teacher, you're real. You're alive. I thought you were dead. I put my, my bucket of stuff to put on you. I thought you were dead. Here, you're standing here in my presence. Why did he have to tell her to back off? Stop clinging to me. Stop clinging. I have not ascended to my father. So I have some stuff to do. Back off. What is that telling you? I know you're real. You're alive. You're everything. One word. Mary. I have one word for you. Come. Let's pray. Father, I know that I can't produce life and we know that we as a church can't produce life. We know that it must be you. I pray, Father, that you would open eyes and hearts and, Father, that you would you would let people know to come, to come to you, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Do this work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.